This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode profiles Alex Dodge. Alex makes vibrant oil paintings that rely on a dedicated system of working, where he builds his ideas and compositions virtually on a computer, then realizes the physical painting through different stenciling and printmaking techniques. His surfaces are a mix of flat and thick impasto, exact and glitchy. Pattern-heavy shrouds that cover mysterious forms are often depicted, prompting viewers to consider what might lie beneath, or the strange physics that prop everything up. The work is wonderfully measured and optical, and explores the promise of technology as it collides with the human experience. We recorded this conversation at his studio in the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn. This, this little device behind you. And one of the things that I, that I talk to other artists about in this project is, is looking and seeing. Yeah. Um, usually with artists that part of their practice is obser- observational, like going around and looking at something and either depicting that in their artwork or looking for material out on like a scavenger hunt to bring back. So there's like this yeah. observational, you know, thing in their work. Um, but when I was speaking with you last time I was over, we were talking about looking at paintings, and you made this little device that sort of maps and measures where our gaze sticks. Yes. When we're looking at something, yeah. And how our eye moves around something. Can you just tell tell me a little bit about this device that you've built? Sure. So that's actually um, that's Mark One version, and that's a homemade eye tracker. Eye tracker. Um, so that's really all it is. Is um, it's uh, kind of a fancy webcam that has infrared um, illumination on it. So what that does is it makes your, your pupil um, very discernible. So it's easy to track by the camera. Right. So you can kind of, um, kind of like the animal in the, you shine the lights on the, and the, on the it animal's gets reflective. eyes and you get like, so that's yeah. kind of what a IR um, IR light does to a human okay. eye in a way. And so it makes it easy to track. And if you, you can track the, where the eye is moving, you can figure out, um, it's as long as, you know, um, you're not moving around too much, you can figure out where on a screen that you're looking. Mm-hmm. So that was something like, um, early that I wanted to kind of play around with. Um, uh, you know, I had some ideas for doing drawings, um, using that, just um, looking, just using the, right. eye. and you know, and it's an interesting thing because you actually realize that most, of um, the way that we see is not done um, by the, the the eyes muscle muscular mm-hmm. movement. It's it's a combination like the kind of if, if there's like a coarse focus, the eyes muscle will get you kind of there, and then your brain um, brain's visual attention the way of of being able to um, kind of roughly get you there, and then your brain was actually doing most of the stabilization and oh, sure. all that stuff. So the way that we see when you start to play with um, an eye tracker, you realize oh wow you're the way that we move our eyes is actually pr- is quite crude. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a, it's a real challenge to try to, to, um, to draw something and move something. Yeah. Um, you know, like a lot of people who are, who are disabled that, you know, are, that, um, that that's their only choice to use a computer. You get quite good at it. Right, so you right, can actually right. train yourself to, to use it and make it better. But so the Mark two, which is actually using um, a sensor 
called um, iTribe, which recently got bought by Facebook. So it's not, you know, so they shut the whole thing down. Okay. So, but anyway, that, that center is a little bit more um, sophisticated. And um, that one, I started to do stuff um, using heat maps. So uh, that was a kind of a fun experiment. So you can take, you know, your own paintings or other people's paintings and you can, um, you know, spend a few minutes looking at them. And yeah, really just for real quick context. It's yeah, like, yeah. it's like uh, a goggle headset with a, with an arm that comes off the side with a little camera that sort of sits right below your, that your cheek, maybe it looks yep. like on your model here. Mm -hmm. And that's paying attention to where your eye is moving yep, and exactly. what it's looking at relative to the thing on the wall. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so like the, the, the more sophisticated sensor than it was able to kind of, you know, look at my own paintings and mm -hmm. it's, and it's really weird. Like when you start to see, you know, you're conscious of where you're looking, but yeah. if you spend like, you know, you know, five, 10 minutes, looking at a painting after a while, like your eyes keep on coming back to certain, certain places yeah. consciously or, or, um, or unconsciously in a, or subconsciously in a way that you start to see these kind of, um, I don't know if you know, like a, a heat map. I mean, heat maps are really used for, um, for, um, uh, UI design and like, you know, how, why, yeah. we, how websites or, or advertising yeah. is working better or whatever. But so you can use the same approach to, to um to look at a painting and it's like you're like oh wow that's that is a weird you know place in the painting that i wouldn't have thought yeah no, demands I mean, a lot of attention i think it's so, fascinating I mean, yeah it's really i mean i don't know what you could do with that but it's well fun. It's, it's i think fun it's connected to some some like fundamental aspects of visual art and totally, that's yeah. visual harmony mm -hmm. composition and design what how our eye moves through a picture right and this thing can quantify that i think that's really cool yeah i mean um, it's and it's i mean there's you know, if there are figures in the, in the painting, then it's like, you know, of course it goes yeah. to the face. Yeah. And it goes face and then genitals and then all. Yeah. I mean, well, that's <laughs> when our like own human biases come. Yeah. No, play, I mean, that's, right? that's just stuff. I mean, actually, yeah. if you, and they've, they've done, uh, they've put eye trackers on dogs and other, and, and monkeys and, and they do mm -hmm. similar stuff. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. kind of interesting. Well, I think I wanted to bring that up because I think it's like a good pivot point yeah. into uh, one of the one of the things I think is important about how you work in your studio, which is this procedure, this system that you've come up with. Mm. There's a lot of layers for how you work and how you realize the painting or the sculpture that you're making. And one of those layers is technology. Um, so I wondered if we could talk about some of the layers of your process. Yeah, sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the past couple of years have been making primarily paintings. I know you, you probably have some sculptural ideas too. Yeah. Sculpture has kind of taken a backseat for the last uh, couple of years, but yeah. it's, it's about to come back. Yeah. So that's exciting. So maybe we could just talk about how you're making these paintings lately. Yeah. So, um, so what's the initial move? How do you start these? So it's kind of like this, this circular kind of process in a way, like it starts out um, primarily through sketching through like drawing uh, a lot of the time I'll, I'll, do pretty crude um, ink sketches mm -hmm. and these things kind of come about uh, with a, an idea for a particular kind of situation um, and I by situation I mean it's like um, you know maybe uh, I have an idea for uh, like for instance this painting right now that I'm working on like this is kind of a, a kid's fort um, it's yeah. like some kind of a structure with like a blanket and some uh, sticks and stuff that are um, held up kind of a, a, a makeshift, like tent poles kind or of something. a makeshift yeah, tent yeah. You know? yeah so so i have the, the, an idea for that and like you know i'll kind of refine it and kind of figure out generally what that's supposed to be mm -hmm. um, from that point it moves into um, a primarily uh, virtual space 
And so that's like, you know, 3D modeling and, um, and simulation programs. Right. And so that'll be like, you know, modeling some of the stuff. Sometimes it's mo modeled from scratch or sometimes things are 3D scanned. Um, mm -hmm. Do you ever scan your ink, your crude ink drawings and build on top of them in, well, on um, a computer? I mean, I, I, I could use, I, sometimes I have used those as like a rough, um, um, a rough basis to start yeah. modeling from. And then oftentimes, you know, there, there'll be objects like real world objects that I want to scan and then, and then use them there. And then a lot of the, the, the work that I do, um, inside that virtual kind of, uh, modeling space is simulation. So a lot of it's, you know, taking, um, existing objects or modeled objects and then applying virtual, uh, physics to mm -hmm. them. So that's basically just like turning on gravity and other kind of forces and letting, things kind of happen. And I think that that's one of the things that's really exciting about the process is that I don't have a complete understanding of what it's going to look like. Um, huh. And so a lot of that simulation is really exciting because you're like, uh, I know generally what it's going to be, but instead of like trying to, um, you know, model every facet of a, a draped cloth or, right. or other kind of um, object that might be in there, you kind of say, well, you set it up and you set up the, the conditions for it and then you press play on time mm -hmm. and let time and gravity kind of you're talking about when it come when you come in to when you leave the virtual space the computer and move into the physical space no i mean that's so that's actually all happening painting. yeah well that's actually all happening in the virtual space and then what happens from that point once um i press stop and then the the environment or the the situation in the virtual kind of 3d world uh -huh. has gotten to a place where i think it's interesting um you know i'll take that and that gets kind of rendered um back into a 2d world okay and that uh, is the basis for um uh, like making stencils or or um, making prints in, in other ways but mostly for the the um oil paintings that i'll, I'll make um, um stencils based off of um the um um the patterns and, and and kind of textile patterns that that have been distorted right. using a, a virtual simulation and that then goes back right. into right so right, it's right. kind of like that circular process like yeah. it starts out very much um very physical and then it goes through this kind of um <laughs> kind of crazy um uh, convoluted uh 3d and virtual kind of world but then ultimately it ends up as being, you know, oil paint, oil on canvas, right. or oil on linen, or whatever. Um, and yep, I want to describe these real quick sure. for listeners. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and you know, this I'm just like thinking back the past couple years of the stuff you've been making, and I think one of the one of the visual consistencies is it is this it, what looks like a piece of fabric or textile draped over an object, and Sometimes I think I can tell what that object is. Sometimes it's um, figurative in a way, or sometimes it's soft, like it might be a pillow or something. Other times, most of the time, I want to say it's abstract. I can't tell, or maybe there's nothing even under there. Maybe mm. it's maybe it's the idea of air kind of blowing it up in these certain areas. Or in this one that you're working on here, it's, it's sort of like a shelter or uh, some sort of structure where a person could go into. Um, it's usually... Uh, the ground in which these forms are sitting on is usually neutral, meaning there's no like depiction of space. There's not a horizon line. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you'll have a little shadow or something to let us know right. that it's bottom heavy or that there is a ground there. But 
but it's usually like a neutral kind of plane, which I like. I've always liked that about your work. It really sort of points mm, out the contour. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think is important to mention is that you typically work in a limited palette. Uh, you only use like a, a handful of colors, but those colors seem very strategic. And they're usually very vibrant too. Mm. You know, you're, you're in this sort of color spectrum of, of things that are bright. Um, uh, you know, there's not like any kind of like earthy tones typically. Um, but then there's a very, you know, the other, I think one of the, the key aspects of these is the pattern that's on the textile or the fabric or the, the you know, the draperies we're describing it. Right. Because that, that, that pattern really sort of folds in on itself. Um, when it's, you know, dipping into something below or above and, you know, you're getting sort of these, these illusions of space and yeah. the shapes are changing um, and the color relationships are changing. Um, does that seem like an accurate description? Yeah. Am I, I mean, leaving anything out? No, I mean, I think that that's a, that's a really good reading and kind of description of everything. Um, yeah. I mean, like, you know, these, these paintings kind of originated, um, it was sort of this kind of evolution of how to um, how to use pattern in an interesting way to describe form, to um, describe um, things in a kind of a strictly spatial sense, but also to describe things that are difficult to make paintings out of. So um, the things that are that are obscured or, or um, covered up, I mean, in many ways, this was a way to deal with the figure, mm -hmm. uh, to deal with the figure in a way um, that. Um, I could, like, yeah. that, I, that I could make paintings um, that were figurative but not figurative in some yeah, yeah, ways. Yeah. I think in some ways um, these forms also are somewhere between the thing and a metaphor mm -hmm. for the thing in the sense that uh, a lot of the times the ideas that I'm thinking about um, that that are underlying, that, that it might be obscured or, or um, um, the, the article itself, um, this textile kind of mass or something like that are things that are very abstract that are hard to make paintings out of. Yeah. I think a lot about economics a lot. So, you know, how do you make a painting about the 2008 housing collapse? You know, that's a, it's a hard thing to make a painting of, but yeah. somehow, um, you know, successfully or not, um, you know, that's something that I feel, you know, it's embedded I, into these I, for you. I, I mean, for, for like that, that, that's one painting in particular yeah. that I tried to, I don't know if I don't know if anyone else sees. Well, it. I think we could talk about this um, idea of collapse and support because those yeah. things, so there's, there's, those things know, are visually overt in your in your yeah. in your pictures, right? Like these these mm -hmm. things that are sagging down and other areas that are propped up. Well, yeah, I mean, like it can be quite quite blatant now. And yeah. I mean, I did these paintings. Maybe that's a lazy read. No, 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 no. Okay. But uh, like like uh, these paintings that I did, um, uh, I guess that was in that was last year when um, you know these. Um, versions of there's one that's like a, an American flag and then there's another version of it which is an inverted American flag and those are draped over objects and kind of um, sagging drooping mm -hmm. um, and that was you know long before um, the 2016 election yeah, so yeah, but yeah. now like post post that you can read into those in a different way for sure um, I was actually just very interested in thinking about how to deal with that pattern um, the American flag is such a a charged yeah it's it's, um, it's it's hard not to it yeah it is very charged yeah. iconic and all the rest yeah but uh, it's but it's a lot of it's um yeah i mean then you know a lot of the way that it, these things came about was um you know i do a lot of writing in studio and um a lot of it was kind of trying to uh, understand uh, how to make paintings in a way um, that could make use of um 
of you know somehow trying to find a point of reconciliation i think between the virtual and the physical and yeah. um not to go to i mean the, to tell the 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 um the short end of the story the short version of the story is basically that um i eventually found that uh, textile pattern was a really wonderful kind of analog for ways of thinking about uh, digital systems uh-huh. um, and ways of and ways that those systems describe kind of reality mm-hmm. in a sense that um, digital systems are are agnostic in a sense to what they describe. They're just these. It, you can think of it as um, um, an overlay of something that um, can be a sampling or an, or, or a, a draping over of experience. And so I thought that that was kind of a, a beautiful way of um, thinking about pattern in the sense that, you know, you can reduce the size of the pattern and have higher fidelity and how it describes the thing that it, it, um, it, it overlays. But yeah, um, I think we talked about this last time. I yeah. Think, but there's also yeah. some like, uh, some like, you know, foundation drawing stuff with ellipses and how, oh, yeah. how like mass is described. You know, right. Like pattern I mean, like can play a huge role in that. That's what was such like a wonderful, kind of moment when I started to realize that pattern by itself um, is so powerful the way that the the human brain is able to decode it. Mm-hmm. So just without shadow, without anything else, you can just have a predictable pattern, say polka dots or um, squares or any other kind of um, predictable pattern. And we see space in the way that yeah. it's distorted. So I think that was kind of, that's kind of, you know, wonderful. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, thing. that's one of the great, I think, successes of your work is that, you're using these patterns. I mean, you know, another descriptor I might put into, uh, throw into when I was describing your work mm. is, you know, they're, they're flat, but they're not. It's oh, like, yeah. It like toggles so there's, there's like back this weird, and forth. Yeah. There's this weird tension between flatness. Yeah. In, in um, ways, but. but the pattern is, is, is working, you know, that optic trick of, mm. of creating form and depth and, um, even, sh- even some like, weird shadow type stuff target starts to happen for me, even though you're not painting shadow or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, there are, like I said, there are sometimes at the ground, Yeah, but, yeah. but the way that pattern can sort of summarize all those things yeah. without even having to do it is, is really, yeah. really cool. And there's like, I mean, it's kind of intent. It's very much intentional to not have uh, a ground, like a, a, a typical landscape ground plane or, yeah. or uh, a horizon line or yeah, anything like that. Three dimensional I mean, space that they're sitting in. Yeah. I yeah. mean, in a way like the, the blank canvas background really does act as a virtual, like a, a virtual space in the sense yeah. that these things, um, and I've tried it I actually tried to have, you know, um, horizon lines and stuff like that in the past. And it really kind of forces them into this historical kind of pictorial space. Yeah, that yeah, I don't yeah. Like, and, and by not having that, they remain objects in a way to me. Right. And they, they have, they, they retain this objectness, which is um, for me more powerful. Yeah. And that flatness, so, which I think is incredibly yeah, important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you put a horizon line in there and that, that wonderful illusion is taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk to you about the, this like, exchange between physical and virtual spaces. Um, but, but there's, I think we got to talk about how printmaking sort of plays a role a little bit more. You talked about cutting stencils. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember I I've talked to you before any number of times about your work and, and you've always said, I hate paintbrushes. (laughs) Um, you know, you're one of these painters that doesn't use paintbrushes. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I actually, I mean, that's, it's funny, but I, I, um, I mean, I actually, I mean, I do enjoy, uh, painting with brushes, but I hate washing. Right, I mean, I hate I'm, washing I'm, them. I'm sexing it no, up no, no, a little no, bit. No, I know no, you use brushes no, to I mean, touch I, things up, but. but I mean, that's um, 
you know, a lot of the ideas uh, for, I mean, tools are, are a big thing. Um, and a lot of the ideas for the tools that I use have really grown out of printmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, all the stencils, although the ways that I use stencils are very, it's actually very close to um, silkscreen in a way because I, I built my own um, uh, stainless steel squeegees mm-hmm. in a way. And they're, they're kind of act like they're kind of scrapers or squeegees in a way. And, um, and those things, I mean, I always feel like, like when you, when you get to a place in your process, when you realize that the only way to go forward is to build a tool that doesn't exist, I yeah. think that that oftentimes is like, for me, that feels very validating that you're onto something good. Yeah. 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 You for know? sure. Um, that's well said. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's, it, it feels good when you're like, Oh wait, I know how to do this, but I need a, a thing that looks like that. And right. you can kind of imagine it and you're like, okay, well you got to build that. And mm-hmm. then, um, so yeah, I mean, a lot of the the tools that I've used have come out of printmaking, um, and the ideas um, out of printmaking, um, building images from layers, um, discrete layers, um, and a lot of I mean, there's there's a you know a lot of the tools are are physical. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of physical kind of engineering that goes into figuring out um, how to build these these images um, physically. But then there's a lot of you know, uh, digital tools. Like, I mean, for instance, one of the, the, the most difficult things, uh, about making paintings this way is that, um, you know, as much as patterns are good at describing space, they're actually really, um, they can be very, um, difficult to discern, um, how much paint yeah. it's going to take. So oftentimes like, you know, it, when I was making these paintings, um, you mean mixing that color? So yeah, because like covers you know, the yeah. So like earlier, yeah. when I would make it, like I'd either mix too much paint or too little paint mm-hmm. with that color, and then so that was actually a real problem. So one of the things I did, I wrote a simple um, program um, called Paint Calc, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's uh, it's it's become indispensable because um, so now I can take. Um, the images that the paintings are based off of and I can calculate exactly or close to exactly um, how much paint I need. Yeah. And that's for, just a math equation that you figured out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really simple program. Wow. You can take an image and then you just, uh, I put it in, in this program I wrote and then it says, yeah, you need to you know, use. Is this I, available for public or is this a I mean, Alex I, Dodge I, I, private I actually, algorithm? Maybe I should share the code. I mean, it's so simple. Yeah. It's just, I mean, but basically I have it so that it, um, it um, outputs and you need three tubes of blah, blah, blah. Right. Huh. So, well, I mean, you know, I, at the front of this, I talked about all the different layers of your process. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're getting into like some of the, like the, 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 the pure technical stuff, you know, mm-hmm. an algorithm for, for how, how much paint to mix. Um, you know, you laser cut stencils. Yeah. Um, you have to, you know, you have a, um, a schedule, a drawing schedule. Cause this you're using, you're pushing oil paint through stencils and it, 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 there's some depth to it. It's raising off your canvas, yeah, I mean, it's you know, about like a, about a millimeter. Yeah. Two, I mean, it's significant. It, there's a it casts a shadow. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. But there's a, there's a significant drawing time. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. and I imagine that's something else you have to calculate before you go into it next, before you put another, yeah. Um, stencil over the top or, or, I mean, I mean, I've always been excited about your, your drawing schedule that you've showed me before. Yeah. So like if, especially if there's like a show that I'm, I'm getting ready for, then I'll have like a whole Gantt chart kind of uh, set up and like, know that like, um, which, you know, it's, it's good because like, you know, there's only, um, so much that you can do in a certain amount of time knowing that like, you know, a painting is going to have to dry for, for that many weeks or, or whatever that you can do this many paintings. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's it. So, and then, yeah, but I mean, now it's gotten, I've gotten a little bit better about it and yeah. I have like a, a humidity monitor and a, and a, and a, um, 
think about these things all the time, like how to be efficient. You know, we're busy people. Um, We have other things going on in our lives. When I'm in my studio, I got to figure, I'm trying to figure, I'm always trying to figure out better ways to work and how to be efficient within reason. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. want to take some of the, like the romance and surprise out of it, but I like this idea of building a working system. Um, So you're maximizing your time that you have. Yeah. I mean, plotting it out. Like I, I, I deny myself that organization sometimes. And I think Mm -hmm. there's a real benefit to it. Even how you're talking about, you know, modeling some of these uh, virtually on your computer before you start, painting them like there's i mean I, I used to work that way i used to make like a maquette or a study before totally. i before i jumped in late you know the past 10 years i've been basically wandering around in the picture plane until the thing presents itself mm-hmm. itself which is incredibly stressful and anxiety producing um it's and, a different and way i miss of... that like kind of knowing where like yeah. having a small even though it's it's loose having a small map yeah. And I know you, I know things adjust and change along the way for you, but there's something nice about this organization. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, going back to what you're saying about um, time and, and our process, and I think that that's something I think about a lot is that, um, you know, we basically... We call it the economics of painting. It is. I yeah. mean, well, actually, you know, it is because, you know, each of us has a different situation in, yeah. our, in our studio practice and our processes. They, they all adapt to the constraints we have. You yeah. Know? So a lot of us, I mean, that, that's actually, you know, how do you make... Uh, paintings quickly uh, where you have the ability to do a lot of um, preparatory work on a computer but then your actual studio time is limited and and that's I think a lot of ways that my my process evolved to be able to yeah. to make use of that and I think that yours I know that yours is has evolved to, I mean you've got you know a family and two kids and all yeah. this stuff takes up time and then we have to figure out how do we you know really optimize the time that yeah. we do have in studio um, but I, you know it's like it's it's like having maps and having um, guides and stuff like that. It's really, it really is beneficial, especially when you don't have a lot of time, Mm -hmm. but it's also, I think that, um, in my case, and I think it's probably similar to you is that, you know, balancing control and kind of chance is also like, you know, you want to be, I want to be excited and surprised by stuff that happens in here. And if you try to, um, plot out and predict everything, then it gets, it can get a little bit, you know, it can get boring maybe. So, you know, I try to build in, the opportunities for the unknown yeah. a lot. And I think that, you know, we have to do that also. But, that, that's um, great. Let's talk about control. I'm glad you brought that sure. up. Is there, yeah. I mean, you have, you have like a way of making these things and it follows a rhythm and, you know, it changes along the way here and there mm-hmm. from painting to painting. Um, I'm wondering throughout this, you know, multi-layered process, at what point you feel like you have the least amount of control or like, is there an area where, whether by design or not, like that surprise happens. Yeah. Can, I mean, can you pinpoint where that is? And there's in a couple, this, couple places in the, probably. in the, in the journey it takes to make these. Yeah. I mean, off, I mean, part of it is like, you know, you, you kind of like, there are these points where, you know, I, I get, you know, um, you know, reference material points of inspiration and that stuff comes out of nowhere. Sometimes yeah. where you're just like, wow, I, I guess I'm making, um, you know, paintings about, about um about that now but um <laughs> but uh but the other parts are, i mean like the like i was saying like the simulation um aspect um that's really exciting sometimes you can set things up um in a simulated space and this the most unusual things will happen yeah. it'll be totally um totally exciting and then um i guess the the is that what you meant by pushing play 
Yeah, yeah. And like the so, thing starts moving. Yeah. Is it like animated and yeah, very much. And you're just this like looking all... for something and you hit stop and there it is. Yeah. So oh, this, okay. all, this all happens in real time. All right, a lot all right. of the, the technology that I've I've used um, in that space is really meant for video games. Oh, okay. So um, a lot of it's real time. Um, so you're using like NVIDIA's um, NVIDIA's Flex um, engines and stuff. These yeah. are like these are real time physics engines because games have to happen in real time. So right, and I think that those things um, they're reactionary too. Right? Yeah, there's a yeah. there's a user. So you can use Unreal Engine and other kinds of um, game platforms to do that stuff. But in in the end, it really kind of doesn't. It it it's a it's about seeing things in real time for me. I think that that's exciting. Yeah, and it's me um, experiencing what these things are rather than architecting them. I think that that's a, a big difference sometimes when we think about, uh, about virtual spaces and, and technology and, and all and, and, um, in terms of 3D modeling is that there's, diff there's different ways of understanding it and looking at one of them is sort of a, a way of kind of um, designing and, um, and modeling, which is, you know, that's kind of a way of, of um, building but it's but then there's kind of a more generative aspect in turn in terms of letting things simulate and and, um, and mimic the real world in a way that um, you know you don't always know what's going to happen. Yeah. That's so that's the, uh, one aspect that I think where there's surprise and and um, and the unknown that that happens. And then the other part is when things become physical again. Because yeah. When you make that that transformation from the virtual back to physical. You don't know. I mean, physical material does whatever it wants to do. Yeah. And there's a lot of like um, human error. Yeah. There's yeah a, all there's, over the place. And there's a ton of human error that happens, and oftentimes it's interesting. Sometimes it's not. But um, yeah, I noticed. That. I mean, just in this one too, in, that you're working on, I can see some areas where there's a little paint pull from when you lifted the stencil. Yeah, that's totally a mistake. Um, but I really and like people it. that know printmaking or yeah. people that use stencils will know what, I'm what we we're talking about. Like the paint sort of pulls up and creates almost like a little mini topographical map yeah and but all around that is like perfectly smooth almost perfectly smooth flat from the blade so mm -hmm. like that's a little human error i yeah. imagine yeah, yeah. which yeah. is i think incredibly important because it, it's letting me the viewer know that there was a hand involved yeah that the person that was making this um you know is honoring the fact that 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 there's uh things that go wrong or you know that the human touch can can mess things up in in a lovely way or something. Yeah, like I mean that. that's ultimately that kind of goes into um, you know why why bother to make physical paintings? Yeah. After all this, and like I think that it for me it it really comes down to the importance of the the physical artifact of the physical yeah. object, and you know I I kind of feel like um, you know especially in the time that we live in when we're kind of we have this onslaught of constant. Um, constantly updating media that is so rapid and everything. I think that I'm, that's kind of, you know, I mean, you know, technology and, and um, the internet and, and media in general um, is obviously amazing, an amazing thing. Um, but at the same time, I think that um, it kind of has made me gravitate towards, you know, um, wanting to, to create objects that, that, um, that, that endure, that have, yeah. that demand, um, a longer gaze in a way. And I think that we need that. I think that we need more of that balance right now when we're constantly just, um, you know, shuffling through Instagram or, or just, other kind just of, just fucking distracted. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's important to slow down. Yeah. And I think that physical objects help you do that. I think the physical medium, uh, making and seeing and, 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 you know, That's touching great. physical stuff is good. Yeah, um, it's you know ultimately we we have to we have to um, deal with physicality yeah. in life in yeah. some ways. So. Uh, you know, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Um, 
let's put art down for a second and sure. talk a little bit about biography. Okay. Uh, I know that you're you're from Colorado. Yes. Uh, the Denver area. Yep. Uh, born and raised. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, Can, do you? I mean, one of the sort of uh, you know setup questions for this for this area of these conversations, I, I ask people what their sort of earliest memory or introduction to art was or how they got into art. Does anything jump to mind when, when I present that to you? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, in my case, um, I was actually just talking to my mom about this when, when I was um, home for, for holidays. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, in, 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 well, I mean, the biggest introduction is, is my mom. My mom's a, uh, an artist. She's a painter, and, and now she does um, multimedia work and different um what type of paintings? Uh, she was, I mean, she, she made oil paintings. Mm -hmm. So um, abstract, figurative, all kinds of um, different, um, different work. So you saw her um, making paintings when yeah, you Yeah, I mean, kid. I grew up, I grew up watching her yeah. paint. And um, so, I mean, like I was telling my mom, it's like, you know, that's um, like you, you exposed me to the most important part of art, uh, which is um, playing, experimenting, creating, um, and it's kind of like that, that, and that open openness and in, in, in that um, in that process. And then, um, but I also had you know exposure um, toward a, the more cultured version of art. I mean, like my grandmother was very much um, uh, she was a librarian, and oh, so okay. she so she had a different kind of um, more maybe academic or, or um, cultural um, um, idea of what art was and why it should be appreciated and. Um, and uh, so yeah, but it, but family was basically yeah. it. I mean, there was you know you had creative people in your family. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. and your brother's a painter. Yeah, one of your brothers. Yeah, and he's you know he's been uh, you know ever you know, even since a very young age. I mean, a huge influence. Yeah, I mean, our work is very very different. Um, but you know, he's an amazing painter. Mm -hmm. uh, he's an amazing artist. Um, based in L.A. Based in L.A. Tomry Dodge. We should we should say the name out loud. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I guess you know I'm curious when. You know, when you have when you have uh, artists in your family, a mm -hmm. brother, a mom, what sort of ex exchanges you might have with them about how how your work's going, or you know, hurdles that you you might be sharing in terms mm -hmm. of you know, you know cra uh, you, uh, career stuff or whatever. But um, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm just curious what sort of dialogue artists, family members might might if there's any ever competition or you know any of these sorts yeah, of things. What, I mean, what sort of crops up? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there for sure. I mean, um, uh, with with my my older brother Tomary, um, I think yeah. I mean, very when we were very very much younger. I mean, I think that there might have been um, some level of competition. But we were even from a young age though. We 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 drew very differently. Yeah. Um, you know, he was very much more a natural, uh, figurative, um, kind of inclined way that he would draw i mean he drew a lot of um kind of comics or graphic novels sure, as you yeah. might call them and yeah. stuff like that and that was kind of the way he did it. i think i was always a lot more technical more analytical mm -hmm. the way that i dealt with uh, drawing and imagery and um you know at one point you know I, you, you could have said i would have gone into architecture or other kinds of design or something yeah like yeah that. yeah um so i think that that was kind of you know we definitely differentiated pretty early on but then you know, and so that the work's always been kind of coming from different places. And then, you know, by kind of chance, like we ended up coming back together many years later when, when I moved to New York, I ended up uh, working for uh, a gallery um, called CRG, which sadly 
um, closed this year after 25 years, but yeah. but it was a great place, and I I really enjoyed working there um, for a lot of that. And um, but you know, in a kind of roundabout way, I didn't actually have a lot of people think that I was the reason why he started showing there, mm-hmm. and in a sense I was, but not intentionally. Um, um, I actually uh, he was going to Cal Arts uh, for graduate school, and one of the artists that we showed, um, and I was just an art handler. Um, by the way, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. So it's not like I had a lot of power to do anything anyway. Yeah. Um, but as an art handler, I told him like, oh, you know, you should check out um, Russell Crotty. Uh, he's an artist that we show and, you know, he's teaching at Cal Arts. Maybe you can um, you know, take a class or something. And so he actually ended up taking a class. And um, in a roundabout way, Russell Crotty actually ended up uh, introducing him to um, the CRNG mm-hmm. of CRG. And and it kind of worked. Which out. are initials for first names? Yeah, it's all just first for context. Names. I yeah. think that yeah, they with three people, they they always thought that if they tried to do last names, it would sound too much like a law firm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but in any case, yeah. So that's how that happened. And I I was a bit uneasy when it was like, whoa, you're going to be showing at the gallery I work at, and mm-hmm. and it was such a good job that I didn't want to leave it. Yeah, um, yeah. Back then, so it was kind of weird. You sensed a potential conflict of interest, maybe or something. Yeah, I mean, and we all know that. Yeah, I mean, the world is nepotistic, and yeah, in um every which way I mean uh, that you look these days but um but yeah it was more just kind of like whoa this is this is my um kind of my spot and then yeah, yeah, then yeah. T- but it was in the end actually it worked out very well I mean I ended up um you know when I eventually became um the the director there co-director along with um, Glenn Baldridge and and I think that you know that was to my brother's um definitely to my brother's advantage because I kind of looked out for him made sure that you know you know, he was, um, his work was, um, was dealt with in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, yeah, so that was kind of weird that we kind of came back into that. And then, you know, I, I eventually moved on from the gallery and went back um, to really pursuing my, my studio full time. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, so I think that, you know, um, we've ultimately become very supportive of each other and, mm-hmm. I love his work, um, and he and and he likes my work, and you know we we talk about work and and um, and the kind of the business side of being an artist in the right, studio right. and that and and so yeah in the end it turned it has become like a really good relationship I think between the two of us and um, you know but our work is is definitely coming from different places yeah so. for sure yeah so. definitely it's funny you know when you're ta- describing Tomri as someone that was into comic books as a kid and you're more analytical. Both my younger brother and I were heavy into comic books mm. and our art competition came out of actually drawing like his battle force creature versus mine. And we'd like, like, like stop motion drawing, fight each other. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like yeah. a literal conflict. Pretty funny. That's really funny. I mean, that's, you know, I actually have a younger brother too. This John. is like when we were like 10 years old. Eight yeah, years no, old, exactly. You know? yeah. I mean, I have a younger brother too, John, and, and uh, we drew a lot together probably yeah. as it as we got older maybe more um for a little while because we were a little um slightly closer in age but yeah so i know exactly what that kind of yeah. com- competitive um yeah. yeah uh i guess since we're talking about you know your time working at the gallery mm. uh i want to talk a little bit about survival stuff meaning how artists survive and how they support themselves because art doesn't always pay the bills mm. um and this is a recurring theme, and I think it's always helpful to sort of air the solutions that we've found or the obstacles that we continue to face in this area. Yeah. But yeah. as someone who worked in a gallery and you know helped a lot of 
artists' careers along, as well as, a, you know, you're you're a, a painter yourself that's you know nudging your career along. What sorts of things have you done to sort of subsidize or help help support it? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, definitely the time the time during which I was working at mm-hmm. the gallery was a great time to work at at a gallery. I mean, it was um, that was an unusual. Um, time that you know that was you know basically 2002 to 2009 um, and you know the market was was crazy back then um, it was a highly fueled by um, speculative investment and hedge fund people that were buying work but um, is it much different now it is much different it is yeah okay it's much different um, I mean there's still some of that yeah but not um, in not it's not the same culture that it was back okay. then and so in a way what what it was was like back then is that you could you know I there were there were those those last three years while I was working at the gallery when I was the director and I had my own studio practice showing I mean there was a, a time when you know I was um, showing Butt Johnson's work and then of course you know that um, he's um, associated with um, uh, Klaus von Nixhagen mm-hmm. that's showing my work so it was a weird time where you could I was showing some triangulation there. <laughs> it was a tri- triangle and um and um, but that was okay, you know. It was, it was because of the the market kind of buoyancy in a way that was able to. It was totally fine to do that, and there was never a perceived conflict of interest, or that um, that I was ab- that it was kind of weird for me to maintain a studio practice and do that at the same time. So I think that in during that time, that was the way that I made things um, made ends meet, and it was very much aligned in a way. You know, I I met a lot of people that ended up being um, supportive. Of, of my career later on uh-huh. and that was because I met them as a as a gallerist as a, as a dealer right um, and but then you know coming out of that like how do you you know like I just I just finished um, um, teaching at, at RISD and like you know a lot of the stuff that I was teaching uh, talking to my students about you know they they were very interested in like you know uh, most of them were seniors uh, graduating from painting and like you know what to expect how yeah. do you how do you support yourself because um, it seems like magic it is. It does. Yeah, and I mean, so I think these are it, these are real questions, yeah, and yeah. they're good ones to have. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's. I think that was that's the biggest thing that um, I wish I would have had when you know when I was in that position when I was an undergrad is that there was just such a shortage of narratives mm-hmm. of potential potentially viable ways of being an artist, and nobody really talked about what they were. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe there is also this idealized idea of what a successful artist is. Right. Um, and you know, I think that that's um, a very vague narrative that needs to be kind of expanded or disproven in some ways. That yeah. there are many, many different ways of being an ex- a successful artist, or success can be defined in a lot of different ways. Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily only through six-figure or seven-figure prices. Or yeah, something or this like, like that, the idea you know. of an art star. Where yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, I think that ultimately, you know, the thing that I I um, I tell. I told my students is that it's it's entirely about community it's understanding who who your community is who your audience is and um and in in really understanding who those people are supporting them um you know building that community sometimes you have to build it you know yeah. if um and in a lot of the things that i i was really um uh, excited to talk to them about is like you know i know this financial model how these models worked for in terms of supporting an art practice. Yeah. This is the way that it's been done for the last 200 years or so. And, you know, this isn't the only way you guys can create a new one. And Mm -hmm. so, 
know, I was ex- I was really excited to hear some of their ideas about, um, you know, new new financial models for support. And um, so, you know, that's that's. Do any come to mind real quick? I'm just curious myself. You know, P- one of, put one you on of, the spot here. No, right? no, no. Yeah, yeah like one of um, uh, one of one of the students in the class. Um, um, uh, he was talking about. I, I hadn't heard about this, but um, I, f- um, I forget the name of the artist. But he was saying that um, there's a lottery model uh, that had been used, and you know, lottery is a pretty typical economic um, kind of model to use in different um, in different um, kind of situations. But the the way that it w- I think that he was describing it as it worked is that an artist would sell lottery tickets, and so one of the tickets, and I don't know what the price is of each ticket, but um, but one of the tickets would be uh, the value you would you would be able to get a, a painting valued at whatever, at whatever um, you know, couple thousand or five thousand dollars or right. But each ticket is probably I don't know you buy it for five dollars or I don't know how much they sold. But the idea is that you you know you sell more tickets than the painting is worth or whatever, right, right, and right. Then you you're able to generate this. I mean that takes a certain level of um, of. Um, Branding or something. Branding or, yeah. or awareness or, or, yeah, or just kind of presence, building yeah. that kind of presence to make that kind of model or structure work. But that was something I hadn't heard before. Yeah. I mean, I Interesting. think, um, you know, the crowdfunding kind of model um, can is kind of remains problematic yeah. um, for a lot of artists. Um, right. It works for some artists. It doesn't work for others. So. But a lottery, in a, in a, I mean, I'm just thinking about the, the mechanics of a lottery. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot of small contributions to a greater mm-hmm. whole, which is sort of crowdfunding, isn't it? It is. I mean, I, mean, it's I think that it just that. uses a different, yeah. a different kind of um, psychology or, yeah, or yeah. setup to do it. Yeah, it but, is. Um, it's very much yeah. about psychology. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's get back into the studio. Okay. And I, I feel obligated to mention that you share your studio with Glenn Baldridge, who's a close friend and comrade and coworker and another artist that's been featured in this project. Long time. He, he's yeah. in... He's on one half of the studio. You're on the other. Your half feels quantifiably different than his half of the studio. We're sitting in this, <laughs> like, you have sort of like two different bays. We're in the back bay yeah. that's up against the windows, and you have your computer set up, which is three monitors uh, with um, uh, a computer that you built and, and, yes. and yeah. deconstruct and rebuild depending on what you need to every do. Five years, every I, five I mean, years, every five years you rebuild to, your computer. I try to limit it to that. Yeah. So I kind of overbuild every five years. I'll, I'll build a, a new machine right. that's as good as I can afford it to yep. be. <clears throat> you have yeah. tables on wheels, which uh, actually I think you and Glenn both share that mm. uh, strategy of be, being sort of portable within the space, which I, I admire and I, I try and do that at my space too. Yeah. You have uh, one big painting that's in progress on the wall and in the other bay there's another work table with more finished work on the wall and then there's a bunch of work that is packed ready to go out in fact we just we just got some on a truck for you yeah um, <laughs> um and then you have this cart that's got looks like your 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 paints in little jars as well as a lot of the tools that you've built to realize these paints. yeah to, that's to push my... to push the oil paint through the the different stencils that you have. Yeah, that's my my mobile. Um, um, I mean, it's it's it, it's like a mix of like a almost like a designer designer gadget studio as well as a painting studio as well as you know almost like a screen printing studio with yeah, those, those yeah. wedges or these blades that you're using to push push paint through. Um, it's a versatile space. Yeah, it's, it feels it's it. good. It I mean, feels it. Um, 
you know, I guess, you know, studio, another reoccurring thing that comes up here are sort of like the challenges that pop up in here. Uh, you know, when you're feeling uninspired or mm. when these paintings are giving you a headache of some sort, what sorts of things you might do to get over that obstacle or, yeah. um, you know, reset the course or something like that. Does that yeah, come I mean, to mind? I think that we all kind of run into that. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, I have a, I have like a kind of a basic routine. Um, and a lot of it does start, like sometimes I'll, I'll come in and, you know, if I do turn on the computer, then that's, uh, sometimes I'd like to spend like an hour just writing mm -hmm. and, um, my, my studio journal kind of writing, you know, sometimes it's working through ideas, um, very much on an abstract level, but sometimes it's working through them on a very technical level, like, you know, technically, um, unpacking why something failed, you know, right. <laughs> so doing kind of postmortems on, on stuff like that sometimes. And, um, so I think that, you know, for me, part of it's writing. I think writing is a, is a really powerful tool. Um, but then on the other hand, sometimes, um, you know, I have a, these kind of um, um, almost like theatrical, like hoisting systems. So sometimes I can just like, I'll tack uh, paintings on to those things and, and kind of. Oh, hoist. that's right. I yeah, forgot to mention so that. You have these like. This this pulley system, pulley system. For it's like kind of rigging, yeah. unstretched canvas up yeah. off off the wall, almost to the ceiling. You have like yeah. I don't know, like 15, 12, 15 foot ceilings here. So sometimes I'll yeah. put put work on that and then lift it out of it's view. It's like a theater, like pulling the curtain up. Yeah, multiple <laughs> curtains are, are like backdrops. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes I'll put stuff on there and just get it out of view, so I don't have to look at it. Uh -huh. um, and then you know, bring it back when I feel like I can kind of um, uh, reapproach it with with new, new ideas. But, um, you know, every now and then, you know, there are all, there are definitely paintings that just don't work yeah. and, and they, you know, I wish I had more space to store them, to be able to look at them. Cause I mean, you know, you learn from everything. Um, I learned from all the mistakes tremendously yeah. and I wish I could keep them around to look at them later, but you know, it's, it's New York. We don't yeah. have a lot of space. So sometimes I have to let things go and, you know, you destroy paintings. I've talked to you about yeah, this yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when, when we say destroy, do you just like roll it up and throw it away or is it more than that? Um, yeah, sometimes, um, I mean, I don't, you know, like, um, I don't feel like I need to totally mutilate, right, <laughs> right. but yeah, you know, sometimes I'll, 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 um, I'll cut it into pieces if it, if it needs to be mm -hmm. and then just fold it up. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, it's sad because. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's the emotional I, response to that? I mean, you spent how many, ever many it's tough. I mean, working hours trying to get this thing you know, to a point where it will survive and then it just doesn't. Yeah. You know, and it's like also the, you know, I feel like the material itself is kind of sacred in a way. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, the oil, oil paint is, is, um, it's both expensive, um, price wise, but it's also, it's a very beautiful material. So it sucks when you spend a lot of material and time on it or something and you, you have to let yeah. it go and it's, you know, that's part of it though. Yeah. Being able to let go. Totally. You know, or just like going through, you know, that's that like that stretch of time and labor only to figure out that it, it's not working. I mean, that's that's where some of the like, I don't know, I think ideas come from that that failure sometimes. So much. And, and yeah. that's sort of like impetus to come back and, okay, this one will, I learned from that last one. That's I mean, actually, a very obvious thing to say. But told, uh, No, but it's actually, it's not, but it wasn't obvious for me. I think, um, you know, strangely enough, um, learning to code, uh, and learning the um, the idea of, of debugging code mm -hmm. was actually one of the most powerful things for my studio practice. Not because I don't write a lot of code on a daily basis in mm -hmm. studio, but 
the idea of how you debug something that's that's not working, how do you figure out what isn't working, um, that's actually related a lot to, to understanding failure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it can be really emotional yeah. when things don't work. But there's also, you know, if you can take this debugging approach to to your work, you can say, like, well, you know, this, par this part of it, maybe this this block of code or this piece of um, of the painting really did work and there's something really amazing in there and so in a way like um, I, I realized I think you know very 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 much late in my studio practice that you know being able to understand that in a way and say you know oftentimes you can take five failures and only after the fifth failure do you realize that all the pieces come together yeah and then they form and like that's actually really how a lot of that's a great is. discovery yeah um, so yeah, it's fine. I just I read recently. This is just like a sort of another little strategy that I read. That's like, oh, I'm going to try that next time. I forget who said it or where I read it, but this person was like, you know, if you're ever not sure what to do in studio, psychologically go back to when you're a kid and what you liked to draw when you're a kid and start from there. I think that's that's a pretty yeah, yeah. sounds like a pretty sort of easy. Yeah, I mean, it's easy thing to do that might help. That's I mean, for me, I think that that's kind of where I, I definitely do go to that place where, you know, if things are starting to get too serious, you know, like you go back and you're like, well, what is what's fun? Like, what is what, yeah. what is going to bring you, you know, you know, joy and like and um, yeah. and happiness through this stuff. And a lot of it's like, I mean, that's there's so much humor in this yeah. in the work and that's the, the humor and, and color um, in the work kind of. Um, um, coalesce in a way that's um, really exciting. I mean, there's sometimes where, you know, if you're not having fun in here in some way, if you're not amusing yourself, or if I'm not being amused, then definitely I have to take a step back and say, yo, yo, yo wait, yeah. this is getting a little too too serious. Yeah, we yeah. need to like figure out what we're doing. Yeah, we got to check ourselves. Yeah. I think that's very important. Yeah. Um, yeah, speaking about humor, yeah, I, I do sometimes find the color dialogues, they, they have like a sense of humor for me. As I mean, viewer. they're kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I think at the front of the conversation, I talked about their vibrancy mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they, they, they tilt away from, you know, natural earthy tones more towards like, uh, you know, candy tones or mm -hmm. almost like, like pastels or something like that. Like this is like a bright canary yellow and almost like a Pepto bismol pink here. Oh, this yeah. one. That's a good way of describing and, it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's sort of like a funhouse sort of uh, space I go to mm -hmm. uh, emotionally when I look at colors like that. Um, and it, that, you know, up against sort of the mystery that's in these works for me, like not knowing what what might be underneath that drapery. Mm -hmm. um, is it as fun as what's on top, the pattern, the color, or is it something a bit more sinister under there? There's like sort of mm -hmm. that dual that dual purpose for me. Um, and I like not knowing what's under there sometimes. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of contradiction. Yeah. In, yeah. In, uh, sometimes not knowing is in, part of the humor, too. Yeah, very much, I think. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I think that I was talking to you a bit before about when you were, um, when you interviewed uh, Andrew Quo. Oh, yeah, yeah, He was yeah, talking yeah. about, you know, humor and color. And that's, and like when he was talking about, you know, how some color combinations are just, they're they're funny like jokes almost yeah they're, they're like these inside jokes in a way. And like, I, I was talking to him about that. And I was like, yeah, I totally agree with you. That's, uh -huh. You know, something um, oftentimes like when I'm here by myself, I think Glenn will probably think would think I'm kind of crazy if I was just laughing. But sometimes I do laugh to myself. I yeah. just think it's like absolutely hilarious when I figure out, you know, like no way. That's like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. That's going to be a ridiculous yeah. um, color combination. But then, you know, you kind of have to. Uh -huh. um, this is sort of a, you know, a fun, you know, while we're on humor and fun. Um, 
if you could have in fantasy mm-hmm. if, if if you could have a dream studio visit does anyone come to mind doesn't have to be an artist doesn't have to be alive mm. you can pass on it too i don't know um i've been thinking about elon musk a lot oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he would say in studio, but I've been, I found this book. Um, there's this book by a, a, um, a friend of mine introduced me to someone who wrote this book back in the eighties and I have it on my desk. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called, uh, business and galactic polity. It's <laughs> all about, um, um, the politics and business of space. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this was written back in the eighties, but like, you know, this is, I wonder if very well he just launched a rocket yeah i was like i wonder if elon musk has has read this book yeah he probably has Um, but um, he probably want to talk to you about batteries and like how to (laughs) how to run your computer off batteries and whatever else yeah who i don't know but yeah he's an interesting character yeah so um yeah maybe maybe somebody like that cool this like i wonder if we could take just a few minutes because we could we could probably go for a long time talking about this Mm. um but this is something else i've talked to you about in the past and it's this idea of momentum after you've had a presentation of your work that goes well mm. um and how you how you how some i don't know there's this narrative out there that like if you if you do well with a show um there's this there's this momentum behind that energy uh, uh behind the work and it sort of sort of compounds on itself and re- re- like like selling out a show will result in, you know, a waiting list for works or like another show or like suddenly there's like a, a like a mild frenzy around the work. Mm. Um, and I one of the one of the things I like to do with this project is sort of dissect or analyze these narratives that we sure. tell ourselves or tell each other. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've briefly t- spoken with you about this, but I wondered what you thought about um, how an artist might might or might not be able to parlay um, success and momentum out of a show because, um, you know, you, you had a show like last year or the year, year before that did yeah. exceptionally well. And I'm just wondering like ha- what happened next after that? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it was really market wise. We're talking about totally. Yeah. yeah. And it, you know, for me that, that experience was, um, kind of, uh, um, how do I say it? I guess um, I, I was pretty stunned yeah. and a little bit frightened in a way <laughs> because, sure. you know, I wasn't really, you know, the, the work was, um, I mean, it, it was really like two years ago um, in, um, at a, not a Miami where like the, they sold out the booth or whatever mm-hmm. in like, in like 30 minutes or something. And it was kind of insane. And um, I just happened to be there. I don't, you know, it's kind of weird being an artist going to an art fair um, where your work is because you kind of like you don't really want to hang around mm-hmm. and I think that when in a way because it's it's kind of, I mean it's first of all it's 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 kind of for me I find seeing my work at an art fair and seeing other people look at it it's like you're totally it's like your soul is like really on the spot yeah. in a way and we're completely vulnerable um, when we put totally, absolutely yeah. yeah and then um when that kind of happened I was just I, I got it you know it was a bit it was uh, I got a, a bit freaked out about it just because you know that came out of nowhere. Like the work was very new. Yeah. That was, and, that was like you, when you and, started showing this stuff, yeah, these and, paintings and, um, you know, a lot of the work that, um, the support that I'd had from the past had been, you know, people that I knew collectors that the relationships have been built up for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and that 
was not the case here. So it felt a little bit um, weird that like there were all these, these tons of people that I didn't Strangers. know. Yeah. And, they, and I didn't know them and like yeah. they, but they were really into the work and you know, a lot of people bought it. So that was, um, you know, kind of energy that I wasn't used to. Um, but I guess it was exciting, you know, and then, you know, when the, then when I had, um, uh, the solo show at, um, at Klaus, um, Klaus von Nixagen, um, the, the, the following year. Yeah. I mean, that energy carried over mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it's, um, it's exciting because you, you feel like you have, um, a kind of energy that allows you to, to experiment and do work that you might be scared to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think there's two ways of going with that energy. One of them is saying like, well, you know, oftentimes, you know, consciously or unconsciously, we are conditioned by success to keep on doing the same thing Yeah. because you know, well, Hey, it's working. Yeah. It's working. You know, yeah. don't, don't change, you know, don't, don't fuck up whatever you're, you're doing because, yeah, yeah. and like whether you're conscious of that or not, like it, you're, it will condition you to, to, um, to think about what you've done and, yeah. and what, um, what you want to do. But I think, um, being, trying to, to be aware of that, you know, I think that the show at, um, Klaus, I decided, you know, cool, I'm going to do some stuff that I didn't think, um, that I might be, you know, you know, worried about like this being too weird or too out there. And, um, so I did a lot of stuff that was, um, that for me felt like really experimental new territory. Yeah. And it was really a lot of fun. So, and you know, it, and it ended up working out like people, um, people liked a lot of it. And so that was, that felt validating also Mm -hmm. that, um, that a lot of that work was received in a nice way. I mean, there's ultimately like that, a a really wonderful validation when that, that can happen. I think it can be, for me, I think the harder, the hardest thing is, is understanding how do you interpret that, um, kind of response psychologically? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you bring that back to studio and say like, and still be able to say like, Hey, this is still my territory and right. like the place that I want to do what I want to do. Right. And, you know, Hey, you know, the next show, you know, what if I do something weird and, and nobody yeah. goes for it? Maybe it's too weird. So and you're, you're, you're in full support of, of not following the thing that's working. Like if, if you feel a need to change things up because artistically that's what you need to do, you're fully ready to put down the thing that's working and answer that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think if you have to, I mean, you, you can try to, I mean, I don't know. Everyone's different, Yeah, but, no, of but I mean, like, I think that for me, like I would get, I would get bored and kind of, um, and start maybe not, not being as happy with myself. If, no, it's if great. I was able to do that, but, uh, but yeah, you know, maybe some people can do that where they can just maybe, maybe one hand, like one approach would be to diversify where you just say like, well, I'm going to keep on doing those because I know that people like that. And then I'm going to um, be able to segment my practice and say, well, this is like experimental territory yeah. and then I'll keep on doing some of that yeah. over there. Um, I think that's probably, maybe that's a, a, a wise way of going. Yeah. About I, it, I, I think it's smart to point out that everyone's <laughs> a little bit different and yeah. you know, it's personalities do what they need to do. Um, I admire that though. I admire taking the risk and, you know, as someone who makes things a few different ways, I've said this before, but you know, just that exploration and whether it's materials or ideas Mm -hmm. or the final form, the object, um, is huge, is, is incredibly important. That's, that's how I'm learning and I'm interested in learning. Um, and I, I think I am the type of person that if I kept doing the same thing over and over, whether it was working or not in the marketplace. I don't think I'd, I think I'd probably 
the, the learning would fade. And then that's when I think I'd probably start to fall out of love with it. Yeah. It's hard to, yeah. I mean, I think again, going back to the way that we live, um, or experience kind of our, our daily so lives. Cheesy, what I just <laughs> no, it's not. I don't think it is at all. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the way that, that we, you know, in terms of taking time scales into account the way that we experience, um, our work or our daily life and everything like that, it's, um, you know, being able to comprehend um, a larger time frame is really important yeah. because, you know, when it all adds up, you know, you know, like a, um, I guess, like you know, like I've I've had um, conversations with artist friends of mine that are much more um, successful, established. And, yeah, yeah. And um, one of the interesting kind of stories that I heard was, um, I think they were talking about. Um, a meeting with with uh, Philip Gustin. Uh, this is like a I'm told by from somebody else, and mm-hmm. you know, and and when they went to to go meet him um, as a student, he was you know super excited to to meet his like like this is like a, a kind of a god to him, a hero, yeah, yeah. And then when they they got to to sit down and hear you know and have lunch and have um, hear the stories, he was just you know complaining about how nobody had none of his paintings had sold and how it had been like, you know, years since, you know, yeah. And, and so the, the takeaway These battles don't go away. No. And like, actually, <laughs> so the takeaway is really just like, there's, there's good times and there's, there's yeah. hard times and they're like, they're, they're always going to be there. Yeah. And so, you know, take, take the entire thing as with that perspective is like, yeah, you might have a time when people, when everyone loves everything and that things are going really good and you have to do what you can do. And then maybe it's like, maybe it's environmental. Maybe the market takes a dive and it just mm-hmm. sucks and yeah. no one's selling work yeah. and um, or maybe it's just like the work you're doing is really weird and like people don't get it for a while mm-hmm. and maybe people need to catch up with you or something like that yeah. and in any case like there's always going to be ups and downs and um, you know keeping that in mind it's not easy because you, you want to pay rent and you want to eat and yeah. do all that stuff so it's nice when you can do that I think that's like the the ultimate thing is that you know it's we're conditioned to through positive um stimuli so you know it's it's nice when you can pay the bills yeah um however you know yeah you got to keep it in in check yeah for sure um i read some quote i think joan didion i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher it but but to summarize it's kind of like you know we have this moment and none of us are going to make it out alive you know (laughs) we're going to be you'll be in the grave soon yeah Um, yeah yeah. do what you need to do in order to like make this an interesting life and i think changing it up exploring trying new things is all part of that for me at least yeah Um, i mean that's what we're doing i mean we're that's our that's our job yeah as as artists so um i guess on that front like this idea of like what we're what we're working on or uh, or how we're working on it and what's working and what isn't are there is there anything that and there's you know this there's plenty of stuff to sort of distract us from from seeing the thing through but what keeps you coming back what keeps you returning to making paintings um is it the just this the 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 pure joy of going going through the process of it from beginning to end is there something more along the lines of and this is something that that i think you know i'm rebounding my own experience off of here but i always think like the next painting is going to be better than the last yeah and that's the driving force for me to come back like yeah oh that one was okay but i'm good this one's gonna be even better trust me you know sort of like having that conversation with myself what is it for you i think there's some of that for sure um yeah there's there's that i think there's um 
you know, the other aspect also, which is just like, you know, a lot of it's like this kind of this puzzle. Like I feel like there's this like um, aspect of like, you know, what if I, you know, what if I, you know, did it this way or that way, um, you know, wanting to f to solve like these technical puzzles also. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I really want to make a painting that that's like you know made out of this or you know a, a print that's that's done with um, this material. And so part of it is like wanting to solve those technical problems, uh -huh. and, but it's it's very much balanced with the, the the emotional kind of, yeah, it's like, you know, discovering. I mean, you're discovering this work. Yeah, and it's this work comes out of out of the process, and um, and it is coming back because you know that there's more stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, if I got to a point where I was like, no, I figured it all out, cool, you know, there's there's nothing else to find. But I don't. I don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon. No, I don't. Uh, not for me either. That's yeah, well said. Yeah. Um, what What's on the horizon, future project wise? Future projects. Um, Is there anything? Um, maybe they're not even real. Maybe there's a dream in there that you've always wanted to do. Mm. Um, yeah. So future projects. I'm. Um, going to be making more paintings like this, which are. Mm -hmm. um, um, kind of these these uh tent like um structures and mm -hmm. those are gonna gonna be evolving um so those are those i have a lot of ideas for where these are gonna go um some stuff that might be happening um that's not in the studio exactly is um i might be collaborating with a um choreographer to do a dance project oh that's right yeah. so you told me about that yeah so um that might happen that that'll be i mean i think man that's, that's gonna be great i mean if these if I envision, mm -hmm. I'm just going to spit, spit it out here, yeah, but yeah. like some sort of fabric or drapery with one of your patterns over it with people underneath yes. making the move. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That, that'll be amazing. Yeah. So like that, that's one aspect. Um, a dream project that I really want to do is um, I want to do a, a bronze um, memorial to um, all the different uh, financial crises that have happened. <laughs> And I want it, I wanted to put to place it down on Wall Street. Yeah. So near the to, ball or something. Yeah, we have to get rid of one of those things. Yeah. There. But um, um, but yeah. So I want to have this. Uh, I want to do a sculpture that would um, there'll be a memorial to you know the most recent, of course, and then going back to right the the Great Depression and maybe before before that. Um, so that that that's a project I would really love to do as as a public public art piece. Yeah, that but, sounds great. I want to see it happen. Yeah. Um, well, Alex, I, we've we've gone into some great zones here about your work. I've, it's been really fun to talk about yeah, the no. process behind these. You know, I've, we've, we've talked about this before, but you know, there's something new always comes out of when I'm, when I'm talking to you about your work, it's been really great and generous of you to, to share like this. No, and, man, thanks so much for coming. Um, you know, the, the, the paintings are amazing, man. And, and thank you. I, I want to see the next next batch of them. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> I also want to put on the little uh, eye tracker. Yes, and, you can and, put and, it. and see what see what sticks and what doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alex. <laughs>